it was all about. I folded the papers back up, put them in the box, and I never brought the subject up. Went back to the library, I typed in the name, and sort of had this momentary pause where you're wondering, do I really want to go down this path? He said, the man just shook his head and said, Ted, if that's your mama's signature, sure looks like you've got yourself a brother. Until the age of 69, Edward hadn't put much thought into searching for his birth mother, even though he had a document with her name on it. Once he started searching, what he found wasn't what he expected. His mother was a performer, and he was able to find a lot of information and lots of pictures. He found out who his father was using DNA testing and has been able to form connections with two half-brothers, one from each parent. Edward wrote a book about his mother and his adoption called The Gift Best Given, based on what he was able to learn about his mother's experiences. Here is my interview with Edward. So how old were you when you were adopted, and where were you adopted from? Brenda, I was adopted at a day old, and I was at a hospital in New York City called the Lexington Hospital, which ceased to exist early in the 1950s. Did you grow up with any siblings in your adoptive family? No, I grew up as an only child. My mother was unable to have children. I remember when I was about six or seven years old, we traveled to Europe in the summer. And I remember my parents going to an orphanage outside of Paris and attempting, I think, to see if they could adopt from there. And apparently they were unable to do that. So I grew up as an only child. How did you find out that you were adopted? Or was that something that they had always been honest with you about? No, to the best of my knowledge, to the best of my recollection, they had not been forthright and open about it. I was going through some papers one day as a, as a fairly young child, and, and we still have this file box that had belonged to them, and in one of the folders, I found what I learned later was my amended birth certificate and my adoption decree. And even at a young age, and I was probably six, seven years old, maybe, I sensed what it was all about. But I kind of took a look at it. I folded the papers back up, put them in the box, and I never brought the subject up. And to the best of my knowledge, my parents never did. My adoptive mother told my wife before we were married that she had been instructed by the doctor to just basically hold your baby, say, I love you, you're a wonderful baby, and we love you. And I assume she did that, but I also assume she did that you know, right up to the point where I had the ability to remember. And I think it's important to take a step back. I was adopted in 1948. Mm-hmm. So this is the very, very earliest part of the baby scoop era, there was no real science around what you should do to let your child know that they're adopted and to to deal with any issues should there be any. So I think my parents did the best that they knew how to do. and, And I think in the end, at least in my case, it worked out fine. It wasn't ever something that you had talked about with your adoptive parents? Never, never, not even late in life. Okay. So what was it that made you want to find your birth family? I had what I guess the good adoption experience and and throughout my childhood I just really never had much curiosity. Later in life I was approaching my 69th birthday at the time. 
time. I'm 75 now. And we were in New Jersey. We were there to inter my father-in-law's remains at a cemetery in, in southern New Jersey. And not too far from there was another cemetery where my maternal adoptive family was largely interred. And I was standing over my adoptive grandparents' grave, and it just sort of struck me I would like to know more about where they came from, the adoptive people. Mm-hmm. And when we got home, I went to our library, got onto Ancestry.com and started fishing for information and found a great deal very quickly. And at that moment, just sitting at the computer at the library, I said, if it's this easy to find their information, I wonder how much it would take to find my birth mother's information. And I knew at home I still had that adoption decree. And there was a name on it that I had never recognized. And instinctively, I knew that name was my birth mother. So I went, got that name, went back to the library, and that's that's where the search all really began. Did you get your adoption decree after your parents had passed away? Is that how it came into your possession, or did they give it to you? Yep. As I said, we still had the file box that I had rummaged through as a kid. It had all the family's important papers and things. So as, you know, my father died in the mid-1970s, my mother in the later part of the 1980s, and just a year after... I had married, and that box just came into our possession and went in the closet. We added the folders for myself and for my wife, and then when my son was born, and we just kept those papers, and I never really went back to look at them, but I knew they were there. So once you figured out that it was your birth mother's name on the paperwork, were there any obstacles to figuring out who she was? Well, it was interesting. I went back to the library, I typed in the name and sort of had this momentary pause where you're wondering, do I really want to go down this path? Obviously, I did. And, you know, I got a screen full of information that popped up and I went to the entry that was closest to my birth date. And I was born in May of 1948. There was an entry, I believe, from March of 1949, so about 10 months later. And it was a visa application going to Rio de Janeiro. And I clicked on that, and that's where the information came to me. There was my mother's name, her parents' name, where they lived. And on the facing page was a picture of my birth mother. <laughs> that was probably the most earth-shaking moment of this entire search, just kind of looking face-to-face at this person. Did you notice any resemblance to her? You know, honestly, I, I did not. Not Notoriously not good at seeing these things, I guess. Hmm. But, you know, I showed it to my wife when I came home. said, oh, that looks just like you. But as a matter of fact, it looks even more like James. And James is their son. And I look at that picture and I look at James and, yeah, I see the resemblance there more so than than between she and I. So what did you find out about your birth mother and how did you find it? Well, it went down a kind of a crazy path. Well, I had documents now all of a sudden with her name on them. And what I ultimately learned was that my birth mother, and I had always assumed she was the the typical story of the high school girl who went out and accidentally got pregnant and got sent away. I found out that That narrative was totally wrong. My birth mother was 23 when I was born, and I learned that she had been a celebrity performer in the big ice skating shows in the 1940s and the 1950s. So that helped to a great degree because I had not only the ancestry information, but working in the performance industry, I was able to get onto places like 
newspapers.com and even Google and all of a sudden be able to, to trace her travels from the time she left home. And she left home at 17 years old, traveled across the country pursuing her career, and then came back in 1947 and gave birth to me in 1948. And I pretty well was able to track her place to place to place using googlenewspapers.com. And even eBay turned out to be quite a resource because there were lots of pieces of ephemera that were posted there that either I could make copies of or in some cases I made purchases. So after she had given you up for adoption, did she go back to performing? She did. I was born in May. She was back touring in October of that year with an organization that was called Ice Vogues. And they toured in the United States from that October of 1948 until May of 1949. And then they traveled into the Caribbean and then six months in South America. And her career went on right through 1956, actually. And she had a very successful career. She ultimately met a man who was a fellow performer in... 1955 and they married and she ultimately had two sons with him so were you able to get in touch with her children during the course of the of the search i learned that she had passed away and sadly only about three years before i started my search she she passed away at the age of 88 and i did find there were two sons i learned that one of the two had died under rather unfortunate circumstances several years before. But I did find that the older of the two was still alive. It took some chasing down. I sent lots and lots of letters out that most of which came back returned with addressee unknown or no longer at this address and no forwarding address. But I did ultimately make contact with him. And we, we've been in reunion. My wife and I traveled to Georgia where he was living to meet him. And I talk to him at least a couple of times a month, I would say, and have a trip planned later this spring to go and visit again. So what was it like the first time you were in contact with him? Were you really nervous to have to explain that to him? You know, I probably should have been, Miranda. (laughs) I kept on thinking until I learned that my mother had passed away. I had been thinking about how do I gently insert myself into this woman's life after all these years. And then I found that she was no longer alive and that was no longer an issue. When I found out I had a brother, I sent those letters, which basically detailed why I was searching and what my beliefs were, what my research had shown. And I kind of just sort of like stepped into his life a little bit abruptly. And on several occasions, he would ask me, tell me one more time, what kind of kin are we? And I would explain, I said, you and I have different fathers, but we share the same mother. For the longest time, he really, truly had a difficult time getting his head around it. And it wasn't until we met with him the first time down in Georgia and that I handed him. He finally got a grip on it, you know, and he knew that the signature was his mother's. It was a very distinctive signature. And it's this kind of a cute story. He had been in a fairly catastrophic fire and he had spent 28 months either in a hospital or rehab facility and he had just come out shortly before I had made contact with him so after I gave him the adoption degree he had gone back to the facility where he had been a resident for a while and he showed it to the manager of the facility who he trusted and he said yeah this 
person saying that he's my brother. And the manager said, well, is this your mother's signature? And when he said, yeah, that's mama's signature, he said the man just shook his head and said, Ted, if that's your mama's signature, sure looks like you've got yourself a brother. And from that moment on, he, yeah, he's been as good as gold, but he had his mother on a pedestal and he keeps her there, which I think is a wonderful thing. You were able to figure out where she was and kind of what she did through research, but was he or somebody else in the family able to give you a picture of who she was? Well, I had actually obtained a fairly good number of pictures before I made contact with him. Many of her, several of her possessions, memorabilia, went to an auction in Atlanta in, I'm thinking it was 2014, and I totally, totally, totally by accident made contact with some people who had purchased a part of that lot of memorabilia, seen my mother's theatrical photos. They posted, you know, probably four or five photographs, a copy of her middle school diploma, her first professional contract, and I made contact with them, and and they ultimately just pushed this all across the table and said, we only bought it because we were curious. It was a glamorous time and a glamorous person even though we didn't know who she was so let's just assume we've been holding this for you it's all yours and I still got that carton full of photos and albums and such and my mother also kept a meticulous photograph album which my brother had and every photograph is in chronological order where they could be there labeled with where she was and what the date was and who she was with and when we visited with him that first time we're flipping through it and I told myself when you flip that next page you know she was in San Francisco in 1947 and that's where I was conceived Hmm. and he kept saying no 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 she was with my daddy and this is before he was convinced we were half brothers and when we flipped that page in the middle of the page the only color photograph in the entire album is a picture of my mother and it's labeled San Francisco California August 1947 And as you know, I've written a book about this whole journey, and that's the photograph that's on the cover. And, you know, my wife calls it the date picture. We think it could be the magic moment. Right. You know, that could have been my night. (laughs) Was there still anybody around that was able to tell you about that time in her life, like a cousin or a friend that you could talk to? Well, what's really interesting is in that carton of ephemera that the people I met who had been at the auction gave me were a number of photographs. My mother at the time, she left skating and secretly went home to manage her pregnancy. She was with Ice Follies in Philadelphia, and there were a number of photographs in there from other ice skaters, all uh, personalized to my mother. And one of them said to the greatest roommate ever, Love, Isabel. And I started going through the photographs and the names and trying to find some of these people. Could not find any until I got to Isabel. And I was able to kind of backtrack and through an obituary that I found online, which turned out to be her husband's, I was able to make contact with Isabel. She was the only one that I found alive. And I made contact through her son. I sent a letter with a copy of the photograph of Isabel plus a copy of one of my mother's pictures, and sent it off to the son and said, you know, if your mom is still alive, I would love to talk to her. And about a week later, he called me very excited. He said, mom is still alive. She was so excited to see these pictures. She'd love to talk to you. 
And the little quirk there is it turned out that mom was in a memory care facility. But he said, bad part is she can't remember breakfast this morning, but she will tell you every minute of 1947. Wow. So she and I had a wonderful phone conversation. And then probably two, three months later, my wife and I traveled to Minnesota where she had lived and where she was in care. And we spent about five hours with her, able to tell me a lot about my mother and a lot about the type of person she was. She could not tell me anything about who my father might have been. And she said to the point that my mother left the show, was never even aware that she was pregnant. Well, that's amazing that you were able to find someone that could give you so much insight. Oh, it was wonderful. When we pulled up to the facility, she and her son were outside. And I I almost leapt out of the car and sort of went running across the parking lot and hugged her. And she didn't know what hit her. Mm. I I was just so excited to find somebody that close. And and we we had a wonderful conversation. And sadly, she passed away probably a couple of years ago. But she, she was in her late 90s. Wow. So I lived a very good life. So you said she didn't know anything about your birth father. How did you discover who your birth father was? Well, you know, it's interesting as a kid, while I had the periodic curiosity, Betsy, I wonder who my mother is. I don't recall ever thinking about who my father might be. But right about the same time that I started this search, and it was only to establish my ethnicity, I sent in a couple of DNA samples. I did the 23andMe and Ancestry. And by the time the results came back, I, I pretty well knew my maternal family's all the branches of the tree and all of the names. And the top of this list had a name and it was listed as a first cousin close relative, I think was the terminology. And I knew the name was not part of my maternal family. I said, wow, if this person is my first cousin, then if he has an uncle, that's bingo. I've got to, I'll know who my father is. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, this individual was a, a Latter-day Saint and he had a family tree which was available online that probably had four or five hundred names on it and I looked his father had no siblings his mother I believe has four other sisters and one brother and I said that's got to be it he's got to be my my father and I reached out to the individual who I'd matched with in DNA and told him what I was thinking and happily you know he responded probably within 10 minutes saying boy this is this is excited I just got the results too and I'm looking forward to helping you and you know, anything you need I'll be happy to help with so I told him my logic about the one brother and he quickly came back and said well that makes total sense and probably about 15 minutes later I got another message from him saying that doesn't make sense because number one, your DNA results show you have a fairly significant amount of Ashkenazi Jewish DNA. My uncle had none. Hmm. And you're saying that you were conceived in San Francisco. I can tell you as for a fact, my uncle never left Texas. So I'm kind of deflated at this point. He said, but here's my theory. And it's since come to be true. He said, my father was half Jewish. He said, I am 25% Ashkenazi Jewish. He said, your DNA says you are 25% Ashkenazi Jewish. Yeah, so I posit that you and I are half-brothers. Hmm. And that's how it occurred. And it turned out that I was conceived, or I was fathered between 
second and third of five wives that our father had. I since have met my brother. I think there's a stronger resemblance there than on the maternal side. And I learned that by, you know, that our father had passed away. I believe it was back in either 2004 or 2009. So a lot of adoptees talk about the genetic mirroring. Did you ever have those feelings? And was it important to you when you saw the resemblances with your brother? It wasn't terribly important to me, but when I met my maternal half-brother, my first reaction is, you and I don't look anything alike. Um, I'm I'm close to six feet tall. He's probably about five foot five. When I met my paternal half-brother, I saw the similarities there. I'm taller than he is, but I certainly saw the similarities. And again, it was kind of a pleasing thing to see a resemblance. You know, if I hadn't seen it, it wouldn't have mattered terribly. So you got two brothers, one from each parent. Are you still in touch with them? And how often do you speak with them? Well, as I said, I probably talk to my maternal half-brother times a month in general. My paternal half-brother, not quite so often. I don't hear from him. I will get an occasional email or a Facebook message, but to talk on the phone, I typically am the one to call him. I've been kind of remiss in that recently. How long has it been that you've been in contact with them, and do you feel like the relationships have evolved so far? Yeah, I certainly think the relationship has evolved with my maternal half-brother, and I think, you know, the relationship, because I think they're greater similarities between us with my paternal half-brother, I I think was pretty solid right from the start. You know, it's kind of an intellectual discussion about, you know, how do you think this happened? It was kind of cute that when we met him as we left, he said, he said, did you ever think maybe there are more of us? And so far, yeah, more of us have not shown up so far, but you never know. (laughs) Yeah, not yet, right? Yeah. So do you still have relationships with anyone from your adoptive family, cousins or anybody? Yes, sadly, you know, just by dint of age, you know, many of them have passed away. But I have a maternal cousin who we're going to actually go down and stay with, who's in South Carolina, that we'll go and visit and stay with in, oh, let me think, in April. I'm going to do a couple of book events down there in her area. And she and her husband have been here any number of times. There are some other cousins on my adoptive father's side who we have a good relationship with, but don't stay closely in touch. There was one aunt or one cousin, I'm sorry, who was kind of the matriarch of the family as the older ones passed away. And she sadly has passed away too. She was the one that I I kept closest in touch with. So you've mentioned your book a couple of times, and it's a memoir about your search for your birth mother. What is it called? And do you have any events coming up to promote the book? Well, the book is called The Gift Best Given, a memoir. And it's available through your local bookseller or all of the online avenues or on my website, which is at www.dganjiauthor.com. I'm actually doing a club meeting with one of our regional uh, library book clubs next week. And the next event I'm doing will be in March at, oddly enough, in Augusta, Georgia. And I was in touch with one of their librarians doing a little bit of research work. And she was kind of taken with the story and said, we'd love to have you come by. So I'm going to go and do an event with them and then go on to visit my maternal half-brother after that, that weekend. And then I've got a couple of events in Hardyville, South Carolina, the first weekend in April. 
So right now, that's it as far as feet on the ground events. You know, certainly there are a number of podcasts similar to this online. Great discussions, and I so welcome the opportunity to you know to talk about adoption and to talk about my story in specific. And, and I'm very grateful for the people who've offered me that opportunity. So I will definitely include a link to your website in the notes for the show. But you're working on another book as well, and you put a lot of emphasis on your birth mother's experience. Why was that important to you, and what kind of research did you do for that? Yeah, well, thank you for asking about that. You know, when I first started this search, if somebody had asked me about, you know, what is adoption all about? Yeah, I think my answer would have been somewhere in the range of adoption is an event. A woman unexpectedly gets pregnant or has a pregnancy, and she can't take care of the child afterwards, places the child for adoption, and goes on with life. And as I wrote the book, I found out more and more and more how untrue that is. You know, in tracing my mother's journey, I found out what went into the decision to place me for adoption, what the actual relinquishment is like, then what's the baggage that a mother carries afterwards knowing that she has left a child in someone else's hands. So, you know, so I came away with that understanding. My next book, which has no title at the moment, I'm probably about a third of the way through it, is going to trace my mother's journey from the time that she relinquished me up until the time that she finds out she's pregnant with her first son by her new husband in 1956. And it will trace not only her travels, but the emotions that she experienced over that eight-year period. And she left a, a fairly good handful of notes that I use as resource material for this. And I've also had the opportunity to interview a goodly number of birth mothers and talk about what was the experience of relinquishing a child and what was your life like afterwards. And almost to a person, you know, they talk about the same same emotions. You know, it's the grief, there's guilt, there's regret. And I want to call attention to this, to the birth mother experience. I think we talk a lot about what we experience as adoptees. I think we talk a lot about what adoptive parents do or do not provide. But I think there's a yeah, kind of a dearth of information about what's the birth mother experience. And I think they... Yeah, they, they deserve some attention. You know, certainly in my experience, I give her all the thanks in the world. And, you know, people ask me, you know, what would you have said if you met your birth mother? And I would have said thank you. You know, she was very specific in what she wanted for me. And, and she focused on getting it before she let me go. And lo and behold, she got it all. And it worked out wonderfully. So it's an effort to try to make people more empathetic towards what birth mothers go through and what they have to deal with afterwards? Yeah, I think there's the lessons of what does the birth mother experience as well as the entertainment value of where did my mother go and what did she do? Mm -hmm. So how do you think your life has changed now that you have met your birth families and now that you know more about your birth parents? I think it gives a little bit of feel, particularly on my mother's side, for for my genetic background. I don't know that I see an awful lot from my paternal side. It's yeah, it's a wonderful feeling to know you came from from quote unquote 
good stock. <laughs> yeah, my mother was a very artistic person. She was a very devoted person. She was a very kind person. And I don't think anybody can ask for more than that than to know that's what you come from. And interestingly, I look at pictures. I post them each year on Mother's Day. One of my adoptive mother and one of my biological mother and they look so much alike they physically the stature was quite the same and both of them were exceptionally artistic they could have been sisters wow that's really something yeah yeah and it's you know that this whole thing has been a an experience in serendipity i guess and that i guess was just to a degree it was coincidence but i think you know everything happens for a reason so that all coincidence what would you tell people who are entering the journey to try and find their own birth families well number one you know it's easier for some people than for others because of the availability of information uh, you know, some states have open adoption records, some do not. You know, some people will go in with some information in hand about who their biological families were. Some come in totally blind. Seek help, be relentless, and don't give up. And I think approach it with an open mind. You know, I know a lot of people or many people go in, you know, just kind of, I want to see who did this to me. I think go in with an open mind and probably take it from the standpoint of why was it necessary that I be put in this situation. Right. I think that be kind and be forgiving, and I think that probably pertains to ourselves as well. Look at yourself in the mirror and be good to yourself and be forgiving if you feel angry about something. Yeah. It was an exciting journey. you have experienced an adoption reunion and would like to speak about it, please contact me at whathappensafterpodcast at gmail.com. Also check out the show's Instagram to see pictures of my guests. Listen next time to find out what happens after. Thanks for listening.